Ladies and gentlemen, this is FM 91. W-E-G-L-O-B-E-N. Another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's premier home for student-run radio since 1971. That's 50 years now. I am your host, as always, Jack Hart, joined alongside my color man, Davis Carroll, and the incomparable Alex Houston, uh, sports director here at WEGL. Of course, we are broadcasting live from the Bradley Basin WAGL studios here in the Harold Melton Student Center. We'd like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from across the Auburn Opelika Megaplex and around the world today, however you may be tuning in, whether that be on your terrestrial radio antenna through the information superhighway at WEGLFM.com or tuning in after the fact on Transistor.FM or Eagle Eye TV or listening to our podcast. We are happy to have you here in the booth with us for Auburn's only student-run drive-time morning show. And now, of course... We are broadcasting live from the campus of Auburn University, where it is a lovely 50 degrees and sunny on this chilly Wednesday morning, welcoming you into Compact Discourse, of course, and for the first time since 1995, we can say that the champions of the world in Major League Baseball are the Atlanta Braves, so congratulations to the Atlanta Braves and their fan base and their city and everyone that put in any kind of effort to make that championship happen. So today is a celebration of the Atlanta Braves and all they have accomplished in the past year, all the adversity they've overcome, and uh, how they shattered the narrative and won the championship with just 88 regular season wins. So, Davis, I'll throw it over to you. How are you feeling today about the Braves or anything else? I'm feeling good. I'm happy for you that the Braves won. Happy for all Braves fans. Yesterday, uh, some good omens came around for fellow Braves fan of – fellow Braves fan – you're the other Braves fan here. He's your fellow favorite Braves fan. Will Root had a good omen yesterday, I feel like. He found a potentially signed Hank Aaron card in a book I was letting him borrow. I feel like once that happened, it was kind of wraps there for me in my mind. That's a W right there. Uh, a good omen indeed. I had my Braves flag stolen off my window yesterday. Did you really? Yeah. So, And I don't even care because I can replace it with a world championship flag now. That's so. a good point. Don't care. Are the magnets still there? The magnets were still there. Someone just wanted that Braves flag. You know, at the, at the celebration at Tumors, I saw someone with a suspiciously similar flag, but mm. I'm not mm. gonna I'm not gonna point any fingers because we're world champs. You should have been, you should have been like, uh, where'd you get that? I had one just like that in my house. Mm. It could have been just like an episode of something I've seen. <laughs> I'm sure you'd be able to find a tie between anything that happens in an episode of something you've seen. You know what I, you know what episode it is. I know. Go ahead, Alex. How you feeling? I mean, as as not a big baseball or Braves fan, I cannot claim to feel like you or any Braves fans in Auburn are feeling right now, but just a very exciting time for sports in general and for baseball. Eight uh, In the last eight World Series, eight different World Series champions. Parody in sports at its best. Also, apparently the last three times the Braves won a World Series, Auburn's starting quarterback's last name was Nix, so that's pretty exciting. 1957, 95, and, well, 2021. 1957? So. Yes, uh... 
Somebody did the research on that. Somebody initially just claimed it was Patrick Nixon, Bo Nix, but turns out 1957 starting quarterback and eventual national champion. His last name was Nix. I cannot remember his first name. I'm looking into it. But that was also, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, just very exciting time again. 88 wins and really, despite being a six-game series, I would say a pretty dominant end to a series that they were in control of most of the way. I mean, I feel like game five was almost an isolated incident, if the word could be used. Because when the Braves were at their best, the Astros did not seem that they could keep up with them most of the time, I would say. Yeah, the Astros did not really seem to stand a chance when the Braves were firing on all cylinders and the Braves having to overcome a lot of adversity, not only in the season at large, but in this season or series in particular, of course, with Charlie Morton going down with a broken leg and then uh, Max Fried having a scare at the beginning of this game. It seems that the Astros kind of had to fight with everything they had to even stay in the series, and the Braves were... Uh, just kind of cruising along for a majority of it. Exactly. Like, I mean, even even with Game 5, for example, everybody knew that even though they wanted them to win at Atlanta because how cool it would have been, I think a lot of people acknowledge that the Braves, at least in terms of their pitching and their bullpen, was not at its best for that game. And it and even then, they still were able to score five runs. Sure, it was off two hits, essentially, actually. actually but I think that's just a really interesting thing to see. And you don't want to look ahead, but how these two teams will fare next season, it seems like they're already going to be ready to come back, even with the Braves making it all the way to the World Series with a number of injuries and missing pieces. So, going to be an interesting next year. But, of course, right now the celebration continues. Of course. At this point, I would like to remind our audience that if any point in the next hour or so you feel so inclined to ask us a question, drop a hot take about the Braves or anything else, or in the highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you'd like to correct us, you can go ahead and call in at 334 334- 844-WEGL, that's 334-844-9345 on your Touchstone keypad. You can also send us a tweet at CDiscAU, and we'd love to get back to you about anything you would like to bring up. So just keep that in mind as you're listening today, and thank you for listening today, as uh, we know you have a lot of options when it comes to how you can spend your Wednesday morning, so we thank you for choosing to spend it with Compact Discourse. All right, let's uh, let's break down this Atlanta Braves versus Houston Astros game six here that took place in Houston after a travel day last night, beginning at seven p.m. Um, uh, it, it, it both pitchers really were locked in for the first two innings. I think uh, I think both of them had around twenty pitches after the first two innings, which is unbelievable performance by both of them, uh, which you can expect from Freed, but I think uh, Garcia as well who was just supposed to be an opener. Uh, he was kind of pitched like a, th- a three-inning game. I think he performed extremely well, and uh, it wasn't until he made a mistake in the third inning that he showed any any cracks of, uh, of uh, not not pitching up to complete dominant performance. And as well, Max Fried was able to get out of a jam in the first inning as well. So, uh, we, we I mean, I can imagine the game going a lot differently if Max Fried doesn't get out of that jam in the first inning. So, I mean, it really shows that every inning counts. I was pretty happy with how Max Fried performed. I was kind of worried based on his last performance that he'd come in, maybe be a little shaky. He even had that – I was kind of also worried in the first inning when he had that uh, tag up at first base where he mm-hmm. got spiked on the ankle. Yeah. I thought he might be out there. That was a scary moment, especially after what happened to Charlie Morton. Yeah. I was worried the Braves were about to like not have a starting – like maybe Ian Anderson would be their only starting pitcher at that point if Max Fried goes down. He took it like a champ, went back out there. Closed out the inning pretty pretty handedly, the rest of that, and then he pitched really well. I remember I saw a graphic comparing him to Tom Glavin's performance. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the specifics of it, but I think it was just comparing how many innings he's pitched based on hits and stuff in the World Series. 
So, I mean, that's a pretty good company to be in. I'm not going to say for sure what the stat was, of course. But, yeah, I, I think he did great. Uh, him and Jorge Solar is the big reason y'all won that game yesterday to me. <laughs> Max Fried goes six innings of scoreless. Um, he has no earned runs, no walks, issued six strikeouts, and only conceded four hits. Um, the really got back to classic post-All-Star break Max Fried. Uh, unlike what we saw in his previous appearances in the postseason so far, especially that game two back in Houston, where he kind of let the atmosphere get the better of him, I think. And uh, just the Astros' bats, if they can get hot, they start rolling. Uh, he did not even let them get hot at all last night, not not giving them a sniff, and uh, was able to punch out six of them. And uh, Snicker let him go pretty deep into the night, but there wasn't any reason to pull him as he went six scoreless innings. And... Uh, the Braves had four great relievers lined up that they could have uh, rolled out, but Snicker made the decision to keep Freed rolling and uh, run with a high hand. Yeah. All right. What do you? How was the? How was the atmosphere last night for you? Where where you were watching? I saw that Tumors was rolled. Uh, I was uh, watching it at, at seventeen sixteen because Moe's was closed for some reason. Really? Yeah. Missed out. They missed out. That seems like That's a very saying. odd business decision. They do that sometimes. They just close. Well, I mean, yeah, but cl- but it's like uh, you can close on a random uh, Tuesday, but closing on World Series Game 6, possibly a clincher in a city that is majority one of the teams in the World Series fan base, seems bold. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they wanted to be open. I don't get it. But uh, so we went across the street to 1716. Uh, there were probably about 100 people there, which – it wasn't it wasn't dead, but it wasn't you know shoulder to shoulder, um, so it was a good good crowd, very loud crowd when something happened. Um, but I was not expecting the the number of people that showed up at Tumors last night. I was honestly shocked that, I mean I, I thought the initial crowd that showed up when I did was going to be just about it, but people continued to flood in almost as almost like it was a football game, almost to that level. I drove by like eleven thirty last night. It was still pretty packed. Maybe not packed, but there's still quite a few people there for almost midnight. Yeah, for you know an hour after the game ended. Yeah, so pretty impressive crowd at Tumors, and uh, they had a lot to cheer for as the Braves' offense was what, uh, in in tandem with Max Fried's uh, almost flawless performance last night, is what propelled the Braves to their sixth victory, uh, or their fourth victory in the series in Game Six, and clinched the World Series for the uh, the Bravos. So. We're going to talk about the offense and a lot more on the other side of a break. When we get back, we'll talk about Solaire's home run, which unbelievably only went 446 feet despite leaving the ballpark physically. Um, We also got to talk about Freddie Freeman finally getting his uh, ring as he got two hits to put this one on ice down the stretch. So we'll talk about the offense and more. When we get back from a break here on Compact Discourse, I'm Jack, joined by Alex and Davis. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes with some more of the show. Trust Trev is all I have to say about the World Series. I'm Jack Hart, joined by Davis and Alex here on a Wednesday morning, we're celebrating the Atlanta Braves championship over the Houston Astros. For the first time since 1995, the Braves have won it all. And uh, Trevor Plouffe, he called it March 31st, 2021. Coach Trevor Plouffe says, Atlanta Braves over Houston Astros in six. 
And uh, I do not, I mean, no words for that prediction other than in, in this house we coach, we trust Coach Trev. It looked risky throughout the season, but he stuck with it all the way through. Uh, um, hey, as, a, as John Boy fans, I'm pretty happy to say that we, we were on the cusp of that. That's not the right word. We were on the forefront of that. The uh, front lines. Front lines. All right, uh, we are going to talk about the offense real quick and how the Braves put seven up on the board on right on, on with seven hits and how the Astros got held scoreless despite <clears throat> getting six guys uh, um, to get a hit. And then Davis is going to share with us which artifacts from the game will be headed to Cooperstown for the Hall of Fame. All right, well, we can't talk about this game without talking about Jorge Soler's home run to deep left field. Uh, that he hit off of Garcia that scored Albies and Rosario, who had gotten on base previously in the top of the third inning. I mean, Soler fouls one off. That That is a very similar pitch to the one he knocked out, and so he, he, he knows what he's looking for, and Garcia makes another mistake, sends a uh, one belt level, and Soler absolutely tattoos it to the left field and uh, stands there at the plate for a moment, which I thought... I thought something had gone amiss, but Soler was just admiring his moonshot, and uh, the Braves are just like that, are up three to nothing, just like they were, uh, in in uh, in game two, or game one rather. It, so when we were watching it, uh, we were a little bit behind, so we could hear all the people in your apartment complex start freaking out. So we knew something crazy was going to happen, but I did not expect it to go out the park. I'll say that. Who did you guys watch it with? I watched it with Chris and Grayson. Ah, we watched it. And we also watched uh, Event Horizon and 13 Ghosts last night, too. A lot. Wow. Busy night. Yeah, busy night. All, all at one time, obviously. Mm. The thousand TVs. And then uh, Dansby Swanson in the fifth inning, he got a he hit a two-run knock. Uh, Albies, who does a great job of getting on base for this kind of situation, was, of course, on base. That added two runs to the total to make it 5 nothing. Later in the game, that was the same inning, Freddie Freeman doubles to deep left center field in that corner there in Houston where balls just drop in for doubles and triples all the time. Freddie hit one right there. He got way under it and sent it a mile high and far enough for Soler to score as that one caromed off the wall. And in the end, it was Freddie Freeman who put the icing on the cake by homering to deep center field, 416. Uh, just went to the Phillips gas can there in center field in Houston, and that one added a touch, an extra point to that touchdown lead to make it seven to nothing Braves, and that's where our tally stood uh, as the as the final pitch was thrown. Seven nothing Braves, dominating performance. Astros never really had a sniff at this one, and uh, seventeen total bases to the Astros six. Yeah, pretty, pretty unbelievable. Boom. The Astros were ice cold, even like when they had to make a run. I mean, I think they went three up and three down in the bottom of the eighth, I believe. And that was where I was like, "All right, well, that's it." And then I decided to go to bed. I mean, it you was. Didn't watch the, you didn't watch the reaction to them winning. Oh no! Okay. I stayed just me, to see that. Let me be clear. I, I, I then, as I got in my room, I was ready. I was like, "All right, let me pull up Twitter one second and find it all." And that's yeah. what I did. To be fair, I didn't really watch anything other than the final pitch. It all just kind of. Mold or meshes together. Yeah, a lot, lot, lot of, of hugs and crying at that point. Yeah. But, uh, uh, from I, I mean, I can, I can watch that again later, but I can't. It makes good point. I can't, I can't hug and cry. 
I mean, well, I mean, I you could, you could. I, it, 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 it's it, a little it, more socially acceptable. It was done in Baton Rouge. It could be done again. Yeah, so. I mean, we just need another curse to be broken. I was about to say, we'll, we'll add one to the list. All right, Davis, what is heading up to Cooperstown from this series? First off, so Jorge Solar's home run ball is not. Man. Here is a picture of it, though. I have the oh picture of it here if you'd like to see it. I'm not sure what? if that's a fan or if that's a uh, or a team official or something that has it, but that is the ball. There is a mark on it. I'm not sure if that's from the ba- the bat or hitting the ground. Ah, yeah. But it has been found. It is in someone's possession. I'm sure it'll get that back to Solar eventually. But I do have the list of things going to Cooperstown. I'll start off with the two things from the Astros that are going first. We have Jordan Alvarez's batting helmet from the postseason just overall and Dusty Baker's cap from the regular season are going to Cooperstown this year. Why Jordan, though? Like, he was the MVP of the ALCS. Oh, that's, I, that's I, reason. I wasn't really watching that one. I wasn't either. I was just watching him go like 0 for 30 in the World Series. So, but he's He's been good in all playoffs except the World Series so far? I mean, he's a good player. I mean, Zach Greinke had more hits yeah, than him in the Zach World Series, Yeah, Zach Greinke's though. batting helmet is what I was going to say. I think that would be pretty interesting to have, but uh, 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 the, to the winner go the spoils. Or to the winner, the spoils are taken from. Very well. Uh, these Braves artifacts are headed. We have uh, Nick Anderson's Game 3 ball and cap. That was that was his first start, if I'm not mistaken. Was that was that someone else? Nick Anderson? Or Ian Anderson, what's his name? Oh, Ian Anderson. Well, he's a rookie, so yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm, that's the reason they got his ball and cap. They have Freddie Freeman's bat from last night, uh, Max Freed's spikes from last night, Eddie Rosario's glove. doesn't specify what games, but just in general. Uh, Will Smith's spikes from last night, Jorge Solar's batting helmet, Dansby Swanson's cap, and Brian Snitker's jersey are going to Cooperstown. So I'm not really sure how they choose what goes. I feel like they could have maybe gotten Jock Peterson's pearls. That would have been something cool to see. That would that I I think they need to ask him for those. That'd be hilarious and awesome. But yeah, that's what's going to Cooperstown. Uh, what else? Do you think anything else should be going there? Maybe uh, Jock Peterson's bat as well. You mean Anthony Rizzo's yeah, bat? Yeah, that's yeah. You there got you it. Go. Um, Altuve's buzzer, <laughs> um, Correa's trash can. I mean, there there are plenty of artifacts you could you could you could pick from the night. Um, I'm just, I'm just excited that it's gonna live in history. Uh, what what a, what a amount of talent was was amassed at this World Series can't be, cannot be uh, understated. That's what I think. And Definitely. just remember the Hall of Fame's a museum. It that is, is museum. true. Mm. Why does Ohio get all the Hall of Fame? Is there a reason? Because all the sports start in Ohio. And Cooper sounds in New York, by the way. Oh really? Yes. Oh that's You're that's all me. Canton. That's all. No, I mean I, I somebody just told me recently that. It was in Ohio, and I was like, oh, sure, that makes sense. So I, I didn't actually check. Oops. You always got to check. Yes, evidently I do. Always got to check, Alex. So the Atlanta Braves are champions again for the first time since 1995 after winning 14 straight pennants back in the day and only having one uh, championship to show for it. They have won four straight division titles and have just one. <laughs> to show for it right now. So they're already off to a better pace than they were before. Although I think the uh, when they won in 95, that was their fourth division championship. So who knows? Maybe maybe they're on pace for 10 straight division championships later on in the future. So excited about that. I mean, I'm also excited about Tyler Matzik's performance as well. He went two full innings, uh, just conceded one hit, and he struck out four of the six batters he faced. So Tyler Matzik 
Uh, really, I mean, I, I was hoping we'd see maybe Luke Jackson or A.J. Minter or any of those other guys on the so-called night shift that the Braves have been liking to roll out out of the bullpen. But, I mean, Tyler Matzik, you can't say enough about what he's done in this series. He really uh, helped the Braves stave off the Dodgers in Game 6. Uh, as the Dodgers tried to come back, he really uh, dug in and stopped the Bra- Dodgers from getting any semblance of offense down the stretch. And he did the exact same for the Houston Astros, striking out four of his six outs uh, in, in his two innings pitched in the seventh and eighth. And then Will Smith doing his job. I believe Will Smith was not pitched every ninth inning the Braves were up this postseason and did not concede any runs. So, yeah, Heck yeah. Was- I will say about something you said uh, earlier, um, their, their win in 1995 was their third division championship in the last five – or no, last – Fourth division championship in the last five years. They did not win in 1994, which I believe was the strike-shortened season. Yes, nobody so, won. Right, exactly. So that was it was actually still. And they did tear them off. That was, though, their fourth, as you said, and they did end up going all the way until 2005. Mm, nice. So, I mean, postseason, Will Smith, 11 appearances, 11 innings pitched, five hits, no runs, no earned runs, no home runs, three walks, and eight strikeouts. So... Unbelievable performance by Will Smith and the rest of the Braves pitching staff. I really, nobody really got shelled. Uh, so, I mean, a- after so many years of the Braves bullpen and pitching being lackluster and the reason that they were falling out of games, they kind of saved them in this postseason. So it, it's a bit poetic that they were able to do so in, in a, such a convincing fashion. So uh, even, even Tucker Davidson, who... Uh, or I'm I'm sorry, not Tucker Davidson, uh, the one who started the, the game five, the uh, the rook Dylan Lee, even he was put in a difficult situation and did not uh, crumple under the pressure. So it was a, a great performance by the Braves pitching staff to keep things under wraps enough for the uh, Braves to come out victorious in the series. And you look at the, the scores, you got. I mean, the 3-2 to two game and the 2 nothing game, and th- those scores against the Astros are few and far between, and it's only if you have an elite pitching staff that you're able to put on a performance like that. So, unbelievable performance by the Braves pitching staff, and uh, it's, it, it, was with the, it was the key to the victory, I think, for, for the Braves because, I mean, you only needed, with the pitching staff that you had last night, you only needed one run to rent, win this game, and, you know, they got seven. So, that just shows how dominating this, this team has been. Truly. I think someone needs to go check in on Trevor Pluth's house. He has like a time machine or something. Yeah, someone's up there. He, 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 he's he got something he's not telling us. Especially, I mean, the Braves. I mean, the Astros, I get. They've been to, you know, f- uh, three World Series in the past five years. They've been completely dominant in the American League West. No one's really challenged them. But the Braves, they were down. They They weren't above 500 until after the All-Star break. They were... 111 games into the season before they even broke 500. And then uh, the Mets were leading the division for the majority of the year, and the Braves are able to <coughs> win the division in convincing fashion and then <coughs> take on two uh, le- not greater opponents in terms of record in the Brewers and Dodgers in the National League and come away victorious for both of those series pretty handedly, not even going to the full five or seven games. Unbelievable. It's one of the greatest predictions I've seen. The 88-win Atlanta Braves in the regular season are victorious 
once again in the World Series for the first time since 95. So that is going to bookend our baseball discussion unless you out there in Radio Land have anything you would like to say. I'm sure we could get Jacob Hillman's take on what else is going on in Braves country as well as you know Will Root, Harrison Tarr, J.P. Williams, the rest of the guys I watched the game with last night. Big Braves fans all around, so we're all excited together, and uh, we're hoping to continue the celebration throughout the week. So stay tuned to Compact Discourse for the rest of the day and throughout the week for more content there. When we come back, I know Alex wants to talk about the college football playoff rankings, including uh, who was snubbed, who was uh, coddled, and everything in between as we have a new top 25 in the realm of college football. So we will talk about all of that and more when we return to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I am your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston, Davis Carroll, and uh, everybody else. So we are jumping right back into the show. Thank you for joining us on a Wednesday morning. If you can't get enough of WEGL, you are in luck because today WEGL will be out on the concourse from 10 to 2 hanging out, asking questions, getting some interviews. Uh, a lot of fun to be had out on the concourse with WEGL. So Davis and I will be there. I think we'll all be there at some point or another from 10 to 2 today. So if you're on campus, be sure to swing by and say hello and answer one of our uh, trivia questions. I don't know what's going on out there. but um, There's, there's going to be a sign for you to write down your favorite song on it. And there's also going to be a time lapse. Yes, and the sign is a chance to get your song featured on WGL uh, radio. You know, I imagine we have most of the songs in the rotation, but if we don't, you know, get that one on there. Could be big. So, come come see us. We'll be out in the concourse from 10 to 2 today. If you feel so inclined, come and and drop by, and uh, we'd love to have you. And uh, uh, marketing director Aaron, working super hard to provide you with some great content and fun stuff like that. All right. Well, it is... November, which means it is time for the College Football Playoff Ranking Committee to do their thing. And, and suck. Whatever you think their thing is, they are once again doing it. Um, they seem to be pretty consistent with whatever they f- they have going on. But we do have a new top 25. And it is as follows. Number 25 is the Pittsburgh Panthers coming off a loss to Miami. Number 24 is uh, San Diego State. Coming off a loss to uh, number 23, Fresno State. So um, I guess the committee thinks that these teams are, are good, st- are still good despite coming off of losses. Number 22 would be Iowa, another team coming off a loss that they think is good. And they lost to number 21, Wisconsin. Uh, number 20, Minnesota, who I've not seen ranked at all in the AP poll this year. I mean, NC State, Kentucky, Mississippi State is 19 18-17. Uh, 17, Mississippi State's a bit of an oddball pick. They have not been ranked in the AP poll yet this year. Number 16 is Ole Miss. Number 15 is BYU. Number 14 is A&M. 13 is your Auburn Tigers, who just swapped places with A&M in the AP poll. 12 is the Baylor Bears, 
11 is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Number 10 is Notre Dame. Number 9 is Wake Forest. Number 8 is the Oklahoma Sooners. Number 7 is the Wolverines from Michigan. Number 6 is those Bearcats from Cincinnati. Number 5 would be Ohio State Buckeyes. Number 4 is the Oregon Ducks. Number 3, the Michigan State Spartans. Number 2, the Crimson Tide of Alabama. And unsurprisingly, number 1 is the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, this. I mean, these rankings are awful. I mean, I know as Davis uh, has said during the breaks when we've talked about it, that this is what he expects, so he's not very surprised. But these stand out particularly awful for a number of reasons. One, the idea that San Diego State and Fresno State, both with the loss, are in the top 25, while UTSA, undefeated in the Conference USA, are out, is completely ridiculous because the CUSA and Mountain West are not very different, honestly, in terms of their competition, especially this year. Boise State's not good this year. Um, for for one example, because that's always you know the holdover, right? But I mean, just it it really is ridiculous. I'm look I'm looking at um at San Diego State's schedule, for example. They are they are four and one as it or, or they're three and one in the conference. Fresno State's also four and one in the conference. Fresno State lost by three to Hawaii. Hawaii's four and five. Uh, San Diego State on top of the loss by ten to Fresno State. They beat Air Force by six. Air Force is a decent team, six and two. And then they also beat a San Diego State team or San Jose State team in triple overtime, double overtime, nineteen to thirteen. San Jose State is a five and four team. It, that that doesn't make any sense. But the worst one, in my opinion, is not Alabama. Two, a friend of mine who's a Bama fan said that I should not care about the rankings because they all have to win out to prove they deserve it or not. Which I'm like that that that's fair. But the, this right now shows the committee's thinking. And what the heck is the deal with Mississippi State at seventeen? I don't understand what 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 why. They have a loss to Memphis, a terrible Memphis team, mind you, and they lost to them. They have lo- bad losses to LSU, who is terrible this year, and a 40-point loss to Alabama mm-hmm. at home. It wasn't like they were in Bryant-Denny and got whacked. That happens to everybody. They were in Starkville with the Cowbells, and they got annihilated. It was not close. That's correct, but they did beat Kentucky and A&M. They so. did. They did, because apparently the committee believes Texas A&M is the greatest football team to have ever walked the earth, for whatever reason, because A&M is not very good either, mind you. And, and with all this in mind, where the heck is Arkansas? Legitimately. I mean, Ar- Arkansas's, Arkansas's three losses are to Ole Miss, Auburn, and Georgia. Three ranked teams, three very highly ranked teams, mind you. And they seem like they should be a Mississippi State spot. Exactly, because Arkansas beat Texas A&M. Right. And since apparently, according to the committee, Texas A&M is the greatest football team that's ever been seen, seeing as Alabama's lost Texas A&M means nothing. Mm-hmm. And what does Arkansas's 10-point win against Texas A&M mean? And Mississippi, I, it just, it, this is, it's a terrible rankings. It bog- boggles the mind. It really does. And, and, and not to mention, on top of that, you know, you almost got a question... Like, just what the logic is behind any of it. Behind Cincinnati being at six, despite the fact that... Wh- wh- where's, the, where's the strength of schedule argument? Because Michigan State and Michigan's strength of schedule is ballooned by playing each other. Because outside of playing each other, they have played very weak schedules across the Big Ten. Right. So why is Oklahoma at eight? What is Cincinnati doing at six? They have a top ten victory over Notre Dame in South Bend. South Bend is not the most hostile environment on the planet, but there's a reason Notre Dame wins a lot there. They do. They do not lose in South Bend often. People always make the joke about the Georgia takeover, whatever. They don't lose in in Notre Dame often, and they did. And they didn't look good doing it either. Cincinnati was dominating them the majority of the game. 
I mean, it just doesn't, it does, none of it makes any sense to me. Oregon sitting at four, despite the fact that they lost to a bad Stanford team. I love David Shaw. I love what he's done with that program in the past. They're not good this year, and he lost, and they lost to them. I just, I'm baffled by some of the decisions because there doesn't seem to be any clear line of logic with any of it. There's not any one thing that makes any sense to it at all. Yeah, I can't figure out what their what their thought process is. What is the system coming in? Yeah, it, it just seems. I I mean, do they release the who voted what like they do for the? No, AP they poll? don't. They have the committee chair go on ESPN and explain and defend his decisions. Problem is, he's a moron and has mostly said rather ridiculous things dating back to last year. There's a great article done. I think it was. Let me let me check who wrote it again, just so I can uh, mention it. But it was done about why last year's committee rankings made no sense because Florida lost to LSU in game at home and they dropped one spot. LSU was two and or three and five at the time. They're, I think they're. Yeah, they were. So, I I don't know. It, it. What do you think? Yeah, I I'm I'm a bit baffled. I, obviously, it's the first one, so there's no precedent. I guess we're just going off what the AP poll has been saying for the for the previous per- portion of the season. So there's no precedent, and maybe if the, the if the standings don't wildly change after uh, a major shakeup, we can really start raising some issues with the playoff committee, but. At this point, I don't. I think the the playoff committee is trapping. Them. I mean, they really are pushing themselves into a corner to expand the playoffs if they're not going to let the on field performance determine who gets in the top four. They're going to have to expand the playoff to let people in. Completely. I don't see Cincinnati getting in the playoff in, unless it gets expanded. At this point, exactly. If, if they're not going to. If they're going to put up such a big roadblock. And let me be clear on this. There's all the jokes made about the 2017 UCF team. If Cincinnati goes undefeated and doesn't make the playoff, they have a legitimate claim at the national championship. They scheduled a top 10 Notre Dame team on the road, mm-hmm. and they played them, and they beat them. And right now, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me because you're looking at the Big 12 right now in the rankings. They've got Oklahoma State and Baylor, right, as I'm looking, I'm looking down the list. Oklahoma has to play both those teams. Oklahoma mm-hmm. will probably beat both those teams. In which case, if by the committee's logic, can you really make an argument that Oklahoma should not jump Cincinnati at that point? Because yeah, okay. strength the schedule, guys. That's what matters because Mississippi State has beaten one ranked team, so they're in. Texas A&M has existed, so they're in. Right? Arkansas, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me because Arkansas plays Mississippi State this week in Fayetteville. Arkansas is probably going to whack Mississippi State mm-hmm. legitimately by 20, I bet. And then what are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to really drop Mississippi State eight spots out of the rankings? They, I mean, they sh- they they should have they should they should. But the they point is they shouldn't be in there in, mis- in general. They shouldn't. So they should acknowledge their mistake and drop Mississippi State out of the poll. Not to mention UTSA not being in while Minnesota is in. I get it. You know, strength the schedule. You're in the conference USA. You're not a great. You're not a great conference. I mean, right. the cynical in me says that they put Mississippi State ranked just to give Alabama another ranked win to justify them jumping up to two. Exactly. I, th- I think that's completely it, and that, that is completely the reason. But, right? I mean, at that point, why put them at 17? Like, exactly. Put them at 24. They're not good, and they, they've lost to bad teams. They've lost to an LSU team that is firing their coach. LSU is not in a down year. LSU is firing their coach. None of it makes – like, clearly, the point is the committee believes Texas A&M is a top-two team that's just had some bad losses. Because every team that's beaten them is – I mean, if Auburn plays Texas A&M, they play Texas A&M this week, right? Yeah. If Auburn, if Auburn beats Texas A&M in College Station, I better see Auburn in the top four because evidently Texas A&M is the greatest football team ever. 
But then look at Minnesota, right? Minnesota has a four-point loss to Scott Loeffler's Leffler, excuse me, <laughs> Bowling Green. Your favorite. With head coach Scott Leffler and defensive coordinator Brian Van Gorder, who retired because he sucked at his job. Just kidding. That's Whoa. not why. He, re- he retired and went to actually coach at Gulf Shores near our hometown, actually. That's not why. I just I got some beef with Van Gorder. But the point being, how can that team be in 20? Because UTSA has not lost to the Bowling Greens of their conference. They're not in the MAC, but I mean, there's Bowling Green level teams in the CUSA. Yes, there are. Is the committee just trying to remind the USA, the CUSA, that they need to, you know, collapse? Just get it is over that, with. Is that the point? Because if that's the point, then why is it a political decision? UTSA is undefeated. Put them in. I'm not talking about being in top 15. Don't put them in the top 15. But they should be top. They should, they should be, be in the 22. Yeah, exactly. They should be where San Diego State or Fresno State. They should be where Minnesota is. Considering they haven't lost, and San Diego State has. Lot well. to get to here <laughs> on the uh, college football playoff committee talk. We'll see if uh, we can rank them better on the other side of a break. As uh, it is November, so it is time to talk about teams that control their own destiny, or maybe not, considering the way that the playoff committee has been ranking in the past years. So keep it right here on Compact Discourse. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I am your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll. We are talking the new college football playoff rankings that came out last night. If you were watching that instead of the uh, Atlanta Braves game, you uh, saw that we have a n- not a new number one, but a new number two and uh, a bunch of other interesting picks down the stretch as uh some teams we have not seen in the poll in a while have made a dramatic reappearance, and some teams we haven't seen in the poll at all have made a dramatic appearance. So, yeah, it's it it, it really is kind of jarring just to look at it all. I got a little heated earlier about the Bowling Green. I must apologize to the Bowling Green fan base, all of them. I guess I don't know how many fans there are, but I I think the committee can only be saved by chaos at this point because let's just assume it all goes to be expected. Michigan State or Ohio State wins the Big Ten. They're probably going to face off in the championship game because I don't, I don't believe Michigan State plays Ohio State this year. They're the same division, so they will. Oh, they are? They're both the East. I, th- I always forget that that's how the Big Ten is uh, set up. So, all right, assuming one of those teams wins the championship. So put it, put it in the Big Ten team. Oregon probably going to win out because the Pac-12 is not good. Put them mm-hmm. in, right? SEC champion. And then legitimately – if Alabama beats Georgia or Georgia beats Alabama, can you really drop either one of those teams out of the top four? Depending on how that game goes. I mean, if it's 38 to nothing, then. True, but I don't think it will be. So then you've got those four, and those four will be in, and Cincinnati will likely be on the outside looking in, which is horrible. They, I mean, they, they can only play the people that are on their schedule, and they still went out of their way to schedule Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And they should deserve credit for that and credit for winning, and they're not getting it right now, and it's – it really is ridiculous. Not to mention, how about Houston not being in the top twenty-five? That I a found, seven and one team. I found yeah, no, no American Conference teams made it in, which I found to be or other than Cincinnati, any any of the the other one, the SMU or Houston. I would have been fine with either of them showing up. To be quite frank, I found it very convenient, isn't yeah, it? it? Cincinnati is. can't have top twenty-five r- wins if you don't rank their opponents. Seems very very convenient for the playoff. I mean. Like, 
honestly, I like Wake Forest. I don't think they should be ahead of Notre Dame yet. They haven't really played anybody in the ACC, and they've played a lot of close games. If Notre Dame's one loss to a top-10 team, I don't think that's a detriment to them. I think they should be at nine. But it seems very convenient. Not to mention, what the heck is going to happen with Oklahoma if they went out? I really don't know what's supposed to happen right now. Yeah, because Oklahoma, I mean, I think they're rightfully so at eight. They haven't been a very convincing team. Uh, I mean, they have the, basically the same win over Tulane that Cincinnati has. I I, I agree, even their, their win was closer. I, I agree that they should be lower, but the point is it doesn't make any sense based on where other teams are. Yeah, I, I really don't know what kind of precedent the, the committee— It seems like the committee might be, I don't know— I don't know what the term for it is, but they might they might just be getting too overly aggressive with trying to get it right, but they're overcorrecting and, and, and doing too much. They're trying a little too hard is what it seems like. In fact, I don't know their thought process at all, so we shall see. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting process. And, again, with Oklahoma having Oklahoma State and Baylor on the schedule – I mean, they will probably jump, and if they went out, they should probably jump into the top four based on having those ranked wins. Like, I, I don't really see. Yeah, it's just it's True. gonna get gonna get gonna get a little chaotic down the stretch Truly. with how these rankings go. Because I think it needs out, it needs to get chaotic to save this to save this season. Exactly. They're taking a very fun season and making it very not fun with these rankings. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, I think there's certainly opportunities for that with a lot of these teams and a lot of great teams I think are in here that could certainly jump up. But if we finish the season and UTSA is undefeated and they're not in, inside the top 20, they're sitting at like 24, I think then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little upset. I get it. Schedule's weak. But, I mean, if, I mean you, they win the games. Wake Forest at undefe- is, is undefeated, so they obviously take stock in – not having a loss, even if your conference is very weak, which it, it makes the decision to keep uh, the Roadrunners out of the poll entirely, completely, even more baffling. Because absolutely, I think Wake Forest is ranked higher than even they are in the AP poll. I think they're tenth in the AP. Yeah, poll. I believe they were actually. Let me go double check on it. Right and I don't, now. they don't really have any great wins. They are. They're tenth behind Michigan, and Notre Dame is actually up to eighth. Because they're in the ACC. Exactly, and, and the conference is not good. The CUS, Now, obviously, the ACC is better than the CUSA, but, I mean, right now, looking at their crop of opponents, Old Dominion, Norfolk State, Florida State, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse, Army, and Duke, not exactly world beaters. No. Be, they uh, beat Syracuse in final overtime. They beat Louisville by three. I mean, they I, let I, I, Army score 56. Virginia might be the best team on their schedule. Exactly. They played. I, and I love Virginia, and I love what Brocko Mendenhall is doing at Virginia in terms of building up that program, but they're 6-3. and three. And that was also early in the season when they struggled. They struggled a lot early in the season. They lost to North Carolina by 20 points. Yep. I mean, the fact is you got to get credit for beating uh, – I mean, you got to get credit for beating the teams that you play on your schedule, and it seems like it's more like you apparently get more credit for losing to teams on your schedule because the committee thinks they're good. That seems like it's the case. Uh, you can't really win yourself into a spot. It seems like you just pick pick your best loss and use that to catapult yourself into a spot. Seems like it. Man, I thought this was supposed to fix football. Yeah, I think we're nearing the point where the fact is you're never going to have a perfect system because you're going to have a computer that is too many numbers and not enough watching the game, or you're going to have a group of people, and a group of people who have inherent biases had these people worked for previous universities in the Power Five conveniently, right? So... I think you're never going to have a perfect system, but this is certainly not even close to it. At what point is the AP poll not better than this? The AP poll has a bigger crop of people. 
yeah. rather than 13 individuals who clearly don't know. don't know what they're doing, to be honest. The AP poll might just be the best bet moving forward. It's just like the Oscars. I mean, I think I think what you need is if you're, if you're going to have such an awful imperfect system, you need to have a larger tournament. Oh, four, absolutely. Four, four teams for a bad system. That's why the March Madness happens, because they know they don't have a perfect system. You can't have They more, give 64 teams a chance. Not 64 for college football. Sorry, go on. You can't have more power conferences than you have spots to play, you know? What happens if there's an undefeated conference champion in every in all five major conferences? Exactly. It's never happened, but when it does, it'll be in trouble. Yeah. Also, I mean, if 2000... You, I, you, I have to go, unfortunately. You're leaving. All right. Well, I think it's a great time to end the show. So, at this point, I would like to remind everybody that the uh, WGO crew will be hanging out on the concourse for the next four hours, if you really? can believe that. So, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. here in, on the campus of Auburn University, you can hang out with the Weagle crew. And uh, tell us your favorite song, and you can uh, be a part of the magic here at WEGL. We'd love to hear from you. So, also, if you'd love to, if you want to talk to us here on Compact Discourse, you can always tweet at us at CDiscAU. We will be back tomorrow at 8 a.m. for some sports, getting ready to talk about Auburn versus Texas A&M. We'll also get some other people's opinions on the new playoff rankings and much, much more. And uh, any any closing thoughts you have to for today, Davis? Uh, go one and zero. Go one to know indeed, and uh, go Braves, relish it, drink it in. Probably won't happen again for a while. Um, so it's going to be a great week, and we're going to continue to have a great week and enjoy the weather and have a uh, wonderful fall afternoon as we uh, get along with everything. So w- thank you so much for listening to this episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, however you joined us today whether that be from your radio antenna from WEGLFM.com or by listening to our podcast. We would like to remind you that all of our previous episodes are available as a podcast wherever podcasts are heard. Just search for Compact Discourse and look for that orange and blue logo. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CDISCAU, at CDISCAU for links to that podcast. If you want information about the show and important updates about the show, you can also tweet at us to get your voice on the show and join the conversation. We are, of course, Auburn's only student-run morning drive time show. You might want to go ahead and follow the station at WEGL underscore AU on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Our dedicated team of marketing professionals is working hard to provide you high-quality content for fans of the station. And with that, for Jack Hart, Alex Houston, and Davis Carroll, it's been another exciting episode of Compact Discourse. We will talk at you on tomorrow, Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And this is Jack Hart signing off. As always, War Eagle, go 1-0. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you on the concourse. <laughs>